Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And the the soul of business, uh, when you think about that, there's all kinds of stuff that gets uh, kind of brought up. And the soul of business is the tagline on the book, Compassionate Capitalism, that I wrote uh, about five years ago. And Compassionate capitalism for many people when they first hear it is you know, really kind of an oxymoron. It's almost like oil and water, compassion and capitalism coming together. How does that work? Well, it works when we tap into the soul of the business. And that's what we want to be looking at right now. Uh, and my guest today, uh, Rich Habits. Okay. You know, whoops, Rich, you have comp- habits. I know. I'm just looking here. Yeah. Recording continues smoothly. Live video will return when their internet improves. Okay. Now, okay, evidently we've got a little piece going on there. I'm not going to be concerned about that. I'm just going to trust that it will happen. Okay. Mm. Okay. So let me start over here. I apologize, Rich. Yep. So three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And when we think about the soul of business, and that's what I want to really work with today um, in this in this uh, particular episode, the soul of business, the journey to the soul of business was the uh, the tagline on a book I wrote f- about five years ago, international bestseller called Compassionate Capitalism. And when you many people first heard of the term compassion and capitalism jammed together, it was almost like oil and water. Uh, because that's not the way that most people experience capitalism is uh, as a compassionate uh, uh, economic uh, model necessarily. Um, my guest today uh, is 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 somebody that I've been looking forward to speaking to for a long time. You know, we had a preliminary conversation um, about a week or so before we're actually recording today, and truth be told, I fell in love with this guy. I, uh, his, and I mean that in a very specific way. His thinking is so aligned with my notion of compassionate capitalism, what it means to be truly, uh, the kind of leader that I think can generate that sort of an outcome as an economic, uh, outcome where compassion leads the way. It's not that we don't, you know, concern ourselves with, you know, making a profit. We have to have a profit if we're going to stay in business. But there has to be something different in terms of how it's done if it's going to be sustainable over time. And our current model is not particularly sustainable. It rape pillages and plunders, quite frankly, uh, the resources on the planet. And it doesn't treat the individuals on the planet very kindly either. Um, so uh, rich habits, and I'm not going to go into a long um 
uh, discourse on his uh, CV here because it's quite extraordinary. Uh, his focus is on leadership and how teams actually function together in high-performing organizations. And he, I mean, I love, I love the way he describes this in his uh, biographical piece here. My magnificent obsession is to help organizations apply unconventional strategies to achieve extraordinary results. And I love that, my magnificent obsession. So I want to just uh, welcome Rich to the show uh, from the Netherlands, uh, my good friend, uh, welcome, as, as we might say in Dutch. <laughs> thank you, Elvin. That means thank you very much, Blaine. Nice to be here. Good to see you again. Thank you very much. <laughs> you as well. Um, Rich, yeah, I, I typically we can lead the show Dutch off point. by, uh, <laughs> we can go both ways. We can speak in Dutch and, uh, yeah. And folks, for those of you that might be wondering why I speak Dutch, I went to school in the Netherlands, uh, you know, university. Uh, and that's one of my very first exposures to what became my idea of compassionate capitalism. Um, you know, when I went to business school there, there were some very interesting uh, conversations that took place. Uh, in that period of time. And this was back in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Um, but, you know, Rich, um, the question here that I want to just kind of get on the table, and then we can kind of riff from there, is when you hear the term the soul of business, based on your experience in working with organizations, what does that actually evoke for you? What does that bring up for you? Good question. The soul of business. When I when I think about that, I'm thinking about um, the another word that I would like to use is the culture of business, right? What is the culture? And the culture is such a, a diverse term. There's like it's like the word innovation. A lot of people have a lot of interpretations of that, right? So let me say what a culture is. A culture to me is what are the conversations that people are having in that. Um, um, in that organization, how do they see the world? What do they see as possible? What do they see as impossible? What is allowed? What is not allowed? What kind of leadership is uh, permitted? What kind of leadership is not permitted? And to me, um, and we can go into this deeper later. There's a there's a way of being that we're all more or less born into that we're um, grown up, you know, that we've grown up with, uh, conditioned. Uh, and if that's the soul of your business then um or more or less than like everybody else right you're it's mostly about profit it's mostly about getting uh, efficiency uh, getting being efficient and like you said it's also a, a way of working that has some cynicism some sarcasm there's not really good listening in that company people are there but it's not really like their highest goal to be there they're not feeling like they're contributing and i feel that organizations who really look for their soul go beyond what is by default there. They really go look like, who are we as a business when we have a choice? Not by default, but as a choice. So, And then you go deeper and deeper yeah. into what actually the soul of that business is. And it's the self-defined, self-created culture. Um, and, and, you know, your profits will grow. The people that work with you are of a higher quality, better, different quality. Let not say, let's not say better. Um, but you're going to have your reputation. It's going to be different. You're going to have different market reach. You're going to have different products. It's just a different sort of um, of business when when it's a created 
uh, way of being in that company instead of let's just put some people together, let's implement some processes and let's see what happens like what everybody else does. And that's run faster than everybody else does, which is more or less the default way of doing business. And it's just my personal opinion. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that because what you're describing, and at least for me anyway, and this is my language for it here, is kind of the, the uh, uh, and you use the word default, but it is the default mindset about how organizations, how businesses in particular are quote unquote supposed to run. And, you know, profit mm -hmm. is you know, king and, uh, you, know, you know, we need to have uh, uh, regular work hours and there's processes that uh, are tailored to output, uh, not necessarily to innovation. I mean, there's you know, all kinds of things that end up collaborating together to produce this culture or this mindset that we operate from. Okay. And when I think about this as a uh, kind of a map, um, yeah, <clears throat> think of a pyramid and, and most, <laughs> we can think about pyramids all day long here uh, as, as ways that people begin to describe organizations. Uh, most people will organize, particularly uh, leaders, around the notion of vision, strategy, tactics, and it's a hierarchy. There's a vision as a platform, and then we build strategy out of that, and then we have the, the working tactics that execute off of that strategy. Underneath that level of vision is a layer of what I'm calling mindset or paradigm or that default culture that typically is not examined. It's inherited. Now, this is just kind of my take on what I hear you saying here. And that actually becomes pretty reified. It becomes pretty solid, pretty impermeable uh, over time. Mm -hmm. it, it's just there, almost like a concrete foundation. But underneath that is where the, you know, the soul or the spirit of the business actually lives. But it doesn't have a chance to poke its way up. And if we can begin to examine that you know, almost seemingly impermeable culture barrier, we drop into, or at least have the opportunity to drop into what that soul can be. And this is, for me, where the use of imagination comes into play. Yeah, imagining what could be, not imagining what is. Imagining, you know, what if? You know, those sorts of things come into play here. And unconventional yep. strategies emerge. And out of that, it you know, can become, you know, some very extraordinary results. Now, I know that, you know, now that's a map that I've described. But you know, you've got your own way of thinking about this, but I've got a hunch just based on our conversations that you actually have found ways to move below that impermeable cultural barrier and into that domain of spirit through the use of imagination in the way that you work with your clients. <laughs> and um, yeah, Medtronic, KMPG, Abbott, Continental. I mean, these are some pretty big names. And you've produced some pretty, yeah, you know, you know, you've facilitated the production of some fascinating shifts in the way that they actually work. So with that big preamble, I'm sorry for taking <laughs> so much airtime with that, but how, how have you actually found ways to work that drop people into that, that next level that almost never gets visited, that, that level of the spirit, the soul, such that something new can be, uh, uh, brought into, into life. 
you know, that that's the million dollar question, right? Because most people I work with, most people in business, they went to business school, right? So they, they did an MBA or they, they went to college and they're educated in the world of more, better, faster, right? So what you said, vision, strategy, 10-year plan, long-term planning, what they don't do anymore is they don't see that I can make a vision. I can, you know, put 10 people together. I used to be a management consultant, so I did this for over a decade, right? We, let's put 10 people together and let's see, like, okay, so 10 years from now, where are we? What's the vision? What's the strategy? What are the tactics? And they would implement that. What they don't see is that it doesn't matter what your vision is if you don't know where you're looking from, right? I'm wearing glasses right now. These glasses, let me, let me give you a, a metaphor here. So I think I shared this with you during our initial talk, right? A uh, guy and a girl, they buy a new house in the morning. Uh, first day in that new house, the woman is standing in her kitchen making her morning coffee. She looks outside and she sees her neighbor. And the neighbor is putting out the laundry. And she looks outside and she thinks, hey, what's going on? That laundry is still dirty. Doesn't the neighbor see that, that it's still dirty? What, what kind of weird woman, <laughs> right? But she lets that go. Second day, again, she's in her kitchen. Neighbor comes out again putting a laundry on the line. And the woman is like, see, in the kitchen, she says, see, I, I saw it. I, I was correct yesterday. That laundry is still dirty. How can she put that out? Doesn't she see that her washing machine is broken? Does she put those clothes on her kids? Does she send them to school with, with dirty clothes on? What kind of housewife? She's got all kinds of judgments and stuff. Third day, she's there again. Lady comes out, neighbor comes out, puts the laundry on. And this time she says to her husband, come on, honey. Can you believe the name, that neighbor that we have here? That is a weird woman. Can you believe that? And the guy looks outside and he says, yeah, I see what's going on. And he walks away. Fourth day, again, in the kitchen, neighbor comes out, puts the laundry out. But this time it's clean, right? And the lady looks, hey, something happened. Something shifted. And she says, I think what, I know what happened. My husband must have gone over there and fixed her washing machine or maybe, you know, gave her some, some advice, bought her some glasses. And she calls her husband and she says, hey, did you go to the neighbor and tell her that she should fix her washing machine? And the guy says, no, honey, I just cleaned the window. Right? Mm -hmm. This is what it's, what it's all about. What we're looking at is determined by how we look at it, right? These glasses that I'm wearing, if these were put on my body when I was born and I had, they had green glasses on me uh, in there, and you would ask me, Rich, what does that wall look like? I would say greenish. Everything will look greenish, and I would battle you to death for my opinion, because that is greenish. Unless somebody told me, wait a minute, let's take these off. What do they look like now? Oh, it's actually white. So the glass, we don't see, we look at something from a perspective. We are a point of view. We don't right. have a point of view. We are a point of view. We and the moment mm -hmm. I work with, this is, this is such a beautiful moment when we do like intensives, when that light switch turns on, when people start to see, wait a minute, it's not what I'm seeing, it's where I'm looking for. It's not what I'm looking at, it's where I'm looking from. And when I see where I'm looking from, I get to correct, right? I get to course correct a bit because let's say I'm in a state of mind of maybe um, uh, I'm very... Um, uh, careful. I'm a very careful person. Then I'm going to see a danger everywhere or an obstacle everywhere. Unless I become aware like, hey, look, from my conditioning, I've become very careful. So 
from that point of view of being careful, I'm not going to take a lot of risks anymore. Can you imagine a CEO who's not taking risks, right? At a certain moment of growth, that's great. But if you're in a free market, that is not a great uh, point of view to have. So what I do with teams is really look at who are we, where are we looking from, and how does that determine what we see out there, right? And once we get clear on how we look, how can we shift where we look from to a more empowering way of looking at it so that we have a clearer view of what's actually happening? Like that lady, right? She had no idea she was looking through a window. And the moment it was clean, she had a much better view. The laundry was never dirty. The laundry was always clean. And now the window is clean and she has a better look with reality. And if you have a better look at reality, you can deal with it more powerfully. You cannot deal with a reality that you influenced. It's really hard, right? If you look back, so with her neighbor, she, she was gossiping about her neighbor. She was already thinking, what a crazy woman. She had got, uh, judgments based on a window, on a point of view, right? If she would have had a clean yeah. window in the first place, she would have never had those judgments. The gossip wouldn't have been there. And she would have just been more powerful in that reality. And that's when the lights, when that light switch was on, and we always do like three to five days with teams, right? And then it switches on and you see in a room like, oh, oh, that's what's really going on. <laughs> it's not there. It's here. It's yeah. our perspective. Yeah. It's here. Yeah, it's our perspective. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, you know, I was well, doing some work you know, years ago with, uh, uh, it was in a healthcare uh, uh, situation or yeah, uh, hospital system. And I was working with, um, and I, I think this matches pretty closely with what you're talking about here, but I was working with uh, a, a young woman that had just recently been moved into an executive position. It was her first executive level position. And there was a fellow on the uh, team that had been, uh, he was, you know, 35 years in position. He was a senior executive on the team. And he had a reputation of, of just being this absolute curmudgeon, uh, difficult to work with, a taskmaster, brute. You know, uh, he didn't suffer fools lightly. I mean, all of the general appellations that you might think about uh, that kind of a person. And she was having a difficult time with it. And she knew of him before she came into the organization and definitely knew of him before she was moved into the organization's uh, executive suite. And so in her mind, you know, yeah, she had a perspective about how he was, how he was, period, how he was. And she wanted some help in working with him uh, because she said, I, I, I can't work with this guy. How, how do I actually change him? And I said, that's the, exactly the wrong question. That is not the question you need to be asking. So here's what I'd like you to be doing for the next six months. I'd like you to just begin imagining him in being, being the kind of person you would love to be working with. And she said, that's stupid. <laughs> he's not. Why would I even imagine that? I'm going, yeah, I know that. And he's not. He's not going to change. But just humor me in this if you're, if you're willing to. And she said, okay. And so for the next six months, and I would check in you know, every couple of weeks with her because I was coaching her on a, on a fairly regular basis. How's it going? Are you still doing the imagination work? And she said, yeah, I am. But there's nothing objectively that's changing out there. He's still an idiot um, from her perspective. About five months in, fast forward here, I said, how's it going? She, and she'd been pretty diligent about doing this you know, practice. 
And she said, I don't know what's happening, but he's beginning to, he, he's starting to change. And I said, interesting, how is he starting to change? Well, he, he's a lot more engaging. He, he's actually uh, listening a lot better than he used to. Um, mm. He doesn't cut me off like, uh, like he was earlier on. You know, he's not as acerbic as he you know, has, has you know, historically been. I said, well, that's interesting. Um, maybe he, uh, you know, just continue the practice and see what happens here. Long, you know, fast forward here, about a year and a half in, they're best buddies. You know, they are, they are just getting along great. The only thing that had shifted, because his behavior, I mean, he, he was the same person. He literally was the same person. The only thing that had shifted was the way she was seeing him. And as a consequence of changing the way that she was seeing him, she started engaging with him differently. Energetically, she started inviting you know, conversation in a different way. It all started with a shift in that perspective where I'm looking from. Yes. So, I mean, I, I, and I mentioned this just as a way of illustrating you know, very pragmatically here that this is not just an interesting theory. It, no. uh, it actually has a very fungible way of working in an organization. There's nobody out there. There's no thing out there except me being projected out there in the world. Would, would that be a fair assessment? I would say that what you just addressed and also what I addressed in my story, that's the biggest untapped competitive advantage that every company has. It's the state of mind of the people. Right. We all have very smart yeah. people who can draft visions. We all have very smart people who can execute. We all have that. Right. We have great talents. We don't have people who look at how can I. There's this story about um, uh, have you ever seen like basketball in 1960s, like athletes from the 1960s? They were skinny people. Right. Some yeah. of them were smoking. Larry Bird, yeah. you know, he was smoking or Kevin McHale. I think he was still smoking. Right. Look at compared to what athletes are now like, right? They're really like they're buff and they're, they have a lot of muscle. They have a gym at every year. Uh, in the 60s, nobody was using a gym. Athletes would go out at night to nightclubs. They would party all night and they would come back and they would, they would play. Then Red Auerbach, actually, he introduced with the Boston Celtics, he started introducing um, uh, fitness trainings, right? Mu building muscles and stuff like that. And he mm -hmm. also told his players to not go out at night anymore. Because he wanted before a game, that made Boston Celtics so much more fit than every other opponent they were playing, who are not using that competitive advantage. Nobody was using it. So if you look at the stats of the of those championship years of the Boston Celtics, you will see that they won their games mostly in the fourth quarter, when everybody else was tired. Yeah. You know, the the, the the other team they were tired. The Celtics had stronger upper body strength. They made their shots. Yacht percentages didn't go down because they were fatigued. They had stronger bodies. So that's how they won more games. And that's not, that's not made up. That's a fact. You can look that up. Now, now everybody caught on to that. Now everybody's using that. I would say business is exactly the same. We do not see it. Because why? Because most leaders think, ah, oh, this is just psychological woo-woo, right? Or it's soft skills. That's, that's my favorite one. These are soft skills. No, these are the toughest skills ever soft because skills. you don't see them, right? Yeah. It's, and it's, it takes a mature person to really start looking at themselves instead of pointing to this department, that VP, um, this competitor, the market is tough. That is easy. 
What's harder is who am I yeah. that it looks like this? Who am I that we see that other department as a comp internal competitor? That's the real question, right? So this mm. is the ultimate competitive advantage. And the company I work with and that you work with, they're on there. This is, these are the early stages still. In 10, 20 years from now, everybody's using state of mind as a competitive advantage. So I would say to all the companies not using it yet, jump on this train because it's going to give you a huge advantage. I love this. We're going to take a real quick break here, Rich. When we come back, I want to unbundle this. Who am I? Who are we being such that we have this experience? So this is great. I love this great conversation. Story. And I want to, and I want to have that. Yeah. We'll, we'll frame that in a leadership conversation. Okay. So how do we actually lead people into a different I am mindset? Okay. Folks, we're listening to Rich Habits. We're going to be coming back in just a minute. Stay tuned. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Um, I hope you enjoyed that little brief uh interlude, uh, do take advantage of that uh, masterclass. Uh, I think you're going to find that there's some very interesting things in there uh, that uh, can serve you very well in your journey to the outcomes that you'd like to achieve as a leader. And speaking of being a leader, uh, when we uh, broke, I mentioned that I wanted to come back to this question uh, or this comment that Rich made. Um, who am I? Who are we being such that we see or experience this out there? It's that, that mindset structure. Um, and as a leader, how do you actually facilitate? And this is the question that I put on the table for us to just kind of unbundle, Rich. As a leader, how do we how do we facilitate a shift in mindset with the folks that we're working with, such that what we're experiencing out there begins to shift differently in a, or in a different way? It's not just business as usual. We're not just overcoming the same problem that we've had for the last fifteen years. We're actually doing something different because we're seeing it different. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think there's three levels to that. Um, the first level is having, uh, seeing it for yourself, right? So I can, um, if I talk to somebody and uh, I try to explain to them that they're not seeing a world or seeing their perspective, right? I cannot tell that to somebody if I haven't seen that for myself first, right? So the first level is always having a breakthrough in my own, like, hey, this is how it works. I, it's not like I um, see a world and it is that way. There's no isness to the world. There's just a perspective. And I see that for myself first. That's level one, right? Having that breakthrough. Then what most people do when they have a breakthrough and they see something from a different perspective, most people don't keep that alive. Why not? Because, you know, busyness, distractions, uh, business as usual, lots of things to do, many, many tasks. So it's really the leaders that keep that alive over time, that practice that. Because one breakthrough, one way of seeing it differently isn't enough. You have to keep it alive over a longer period of time until it becomes part of your psychological makeup. Right? So that's level two. Once you have seen it, kept it alive, and it becomes part of who you are, part of your new programming, you can then really start sharing that with other people. Right? It's almost like somebody who's heavily overweight trying to tell somebody uh, what, what, what they should eat. That, that, that's that doesn't work. So see it for yourself, keep it alive, practice it. And once you're comfortable, once you have an embodied experience, you can teach it to others. And I see the leaders who do that, no, they have an enormous impact because where they're coming from. Yeah, go ahead. Hmm? go ahead. I see the leaders that really do it that way. They don't have to sell anything anymore. They don't have to convince anybody because who they are is what they're talking about. And that communicates like a hundredfold stronger than coming from some theory like, hey, remember that you, you, you have a perspective. Yeah, great. Thank you, Einstein. You're not embodying it, right? So I really recommend work on yourself. Really start seeing who am I being? Who am I? Where am I looking from? What are my perspectives? What do I do under stress? Keep being with that for a year, two years, sometimes three years. Get a really good coach, right? There's two on the screen right now. <laughs> and thirdly, really exactly. then, once you see that, share it with Yeah, and then share it with others. That's that. I would say that's the they, way they, that works best. You're, 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 you're actually describing uh, the behavioral analog, if you will, to the way that I define leadership, which is about influencing others in order to co-create coordinated movement. So there's three pieces to this. The influencing, which is state of being. Okay, It's not command and control. It's not about a telling process. It's uh, I influence just by who I am. And that can yeah. move me in all kinds of different directions. And if I'm beginning to become aware of what, what it is that we're talking about here, this mindset, I be, you know, the aha, there's no world out there. What I'm seeing is, a, is my perspective being projected. It's our perspective being projected. So beginning to practice, recognizing that that's a truth, that's how I begin to influence. And then co-creating with others, that's the teaching piece. You know, how do we actually bring people along with that? And then we're going to stumble uh, as we move forward here, which is where coordinated movement comes in. But that's a whole communication uh, uh, section that is you know, kind of distinct from these other two pieces, you know, the influencing and co-creation. Um, yeah. 
absolutely. What you know, you know, this idea about you know, I, I experience it for myself, and then I develop ways to keep it alive. And I'm intrigued with this mm-hmm. because in the work that you've done with the leaders that you've worked with, um, and I, you know, I've got to assume that they're very similar to the leaders with whom I've worked. Uh, you know, these are you know, high performing people. Um, the idea of more, better, faster. Uh, you know, the you know, getting them to slow down long enough. To number one, appreciate that something's going on, but number two, after that you know, recognition, that aha, what practices do you bring into your coaching work with these uh, clients that begin to keep that alive in them, such that it becomes palpable in their organization as a leader? There's various ways of doing that. My favorite way is um, by I help them really do, um, I help them look at who have I become up till now, right? What are my main survival mm-hmm. strategies, for instance? Why am I under stress? So I know a lot of leaders who've, who've come to depend on their smarts, on their intelligence, right? On their, on their mind, because they've been the smartest boy in class. That's how they created a career. At a certain level, it doesn't work anymore if you're constantly trying to prove that you're the smartest boy in class, right? But you know as well as I do that many, many leaders still depend on that and they drive their people crazy because they need to know everything. And they constantly challenge people based on smarts. This is just one one formula that most leaders have, right? So they really need to see that, look, what got you here won't get you there. Because if you keep staying um, that kind of leader that needs to know everything and needs to understand before you move on, you're actually a liability to your team. And once they really start mm-hmm. to see without making anything wrong about it, right? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just something that worked here. It doesn't work there. Once they start to see, hey, wait a minute, who I need to be to move this company further is somebody who builds trust in a team, empowers people, and allows people to develop without me constantly needing to be up to date, right? Yep. What happens when they become aware of that, they get to practice. And I coach them like, hey, look, you got in the way of your people there. I'll, I'll share a short story with you, a really short story. I once with a management, did a management retreat. Yeah. The guy came to me and he said, you know, my team, they can't think for themselves anymore. It's crazy. I have to give them everything. They don't think, they don't take accountability. Can you help me? I said, sure. So we did a three-day inf- intensive and I sat next to him. And I saw exactly what was going on. Every team, every idea the team had, he shut it down because he said, no, no, we tried that five years ago. It doesn't work here. All right. Then somebody else said something, said, no, no, it doesn't work because, you know, I have information from headquarters and your idea is not going to fly. It's not going to work. So his whole team, they shut up at a certain moment because, hey, this guy knows better anyway. So I told him, I said, look, actually in the break at the coffee machine, I said, look, The next time, I want you to do this. Next time somebody comes up with a strategy, I want you to notice what's going on. I want you to notice what's going on. Uh, I know better. It doesn't work. It's stupid. It's not smart. It's not strategic enough. And don't let it come out of your mouth. Just keep it in (laughs) and see what happens. Right? After the break, Team did it again, and I saw the guy, and he was trying to keep his mouth shut, but it cost him so much energy to do that, right? And I sat next to him. I even tapped yeah. him on the knee like, don't do it. Don't interfere. Don't do it. 
And at a certain moment, he, he didn't he didn't hold it in anymore. And he just interfered. He said, look, we, we have to cut this conversation short because it's not going anywhere. This is what's going to happen. We're not going to do this. Your idea doesn't work. We've tried that before. So I said, okay, everybody, time out. So we took a time out. Everybody walks out. And the guy was furious with me. How can you do that? You're undermining my authority. I should never have done this with you. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm good. Look, sit, look. I get it. You're upset. Let it sink in and see what happened. I see you in a couple of weeks. So a couple of weeks later, he calls me. <laughs> I never, never forget. He said, Rich, this is exactly what's been limiting me to go to a next level. This is exactly yep. why I'm always exhausted. This is exactly why I never have a team that functions. And it's because I always want to know better because that's my, my whole self-worth is tied in with being smart. And he said, I feel worthless when I'm not the smartest boy in class. But he said, for the sake of my team, for the sake of yeah. my growth, that's something I'm going to have to put on the shelf. And I was like, hallelujah. Hmm. <laughs> he gets it, right? <laughs> From that moment on, it's not like he didn't do that anymore. He just became very, very, very aware because you're never going to get rid of it. But he became very aware once right. that, that, that survival strategy that he's developed when it popped up, he would just turn the volume lower on it and just keep the, the room open for his team. And his team started to develop. They started to share. They started to open up. And he became more accountable, more uh, independent. And he would just have less work. He would have better plans. And the team would be more collaborative. And he said, my God, that was all yep. I needed to know. I said, well, it was a blind spot for you. The blind spot. I mean, you know, and I shared a poem with you uh, in our last conversation, yeah, uh, about the failure to notice. And then until I notice that I'm not noticing, it's impossible for me to change. And this is exactly what I hear you describing about this uh, interaction was he wasn't noticing that he wasn't noticing. And as soon as you, you know, kind of held the mirror up, it's kind of like, now, then it was a question, well, what do I do with this? And, it, and it's uncomfortable. How do I cross my arms? It's kind of like, yeah, bite my tongue. When you know, I'm going to go all the way back to our beginning here, um, the soul of business, you know, being able to drop below that permeable membrane or that, that impermeable membrane of culture, uh, mindset, habituation. The teams that are, you know, the, the people in my organization are closest to the work. They will know something is up. They will know that something can be fixed. They're the ones that know where the machines are working and how they're working. And I mean, all of those sorts of things. Until I can get to the point as a leader of letting them, you know, the, the collective intelligence, you know, these are, are bright people and not just from an intellectual perspective, but co you know, collectively intelligent. We can move mountains when we tap into that collective intelligence because it's where the spirit actually you know, can inform what's next. You know, these, these people are connected to this at a very you know, fundamental level not at the, the management level where we're looking at you know, you know, three or four steps removed from the work that's being done. What's being done out here on the floor? And how can yeah. we tap into that yeah. intelligence, that, that spirit, that aliveness <clears throat> that comes into play? And that's what I hear you describing very distinctly with uh, yeah, this interaction with, with he and his team. All of a sudden, yeah, things yeah. began to happen in a different yeah. way. Where can people yep. find and out just, more about what you're you know, up to? Right? 
Uh, well, I have a website, of course. They can find me there, www.richhabits.com. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, everything I do is on Say there. that again? Um, I, yeah. Well, it's my name, right? www.richhabits.com. I'm there. Yeah. People, if they want to contact me, they can find me there. Yeah. They find my email address there. And, um, you know, it's, I just want to say that this work is so beautiful, isn't it? It's so, it's so amazing. It's oh. so, it's such a privilege to have people really see how much they really got going for themselves and what they're capable of, right? I see so many people settling for, at, at a certain yeah. point they settle because they think, oh, that's not possible for me anymore. Or I'm not smart enough for this. I'm not experienced mm -hmm. enough. No, I'm too old for that. They settle and they really limit their leadership. What I stand for, for now and for the rest of my life, is a leadership that's self-expressed, creative, and free, right? Self-expressed as in not needing to please, not needing to attend to an agenda, just my full authentic self-expression as a person of who I am, not bound by my past. Creative as in not reactive, <laughs> not as in fixing, not as in changing, but in creating new innovation and in being free. And with free, I mean I'm an independent person. I'm not here to kiss up to my boss or to come up to an agenda. No, I'm a free-minded <laughs> spirit person. And if we would bring just more of that to business, and we all have it, we all have it. Nobody accepts it. Yeah. There's no, no exceptions here. That's what I mean. There's no exceptions. We all have that. And if we bring that to business, the business flourishes. And I've seen that so many times, Absolutely. it's not even a coincidence anymore. Yeah, and it's 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 the distinct it's the difference between thriving and uh, and surviving. You know, the the whole idea of what Lane, we can settle for what our mindset, what our culture Man, you know, says we're supposed to. Be. Yeah, so we just survive. We settle into it. I want to thrive. Life's too short. I want to thrive. No, folks, we've been listening to Rich Habits. Uh, this is Blaine Bartlett, uh, the soul of business with Blaine Bartlett. Rich, I can't thank you enough for uh, engaging in this conversation with me. I greatly appreciate it. And folks, check out uh, BlaineBartlett.com. There's all kinds of stuff there that you can get access to uh, that will enhance your ability to thrive in your life. And as a parting word here, find ways in your life to become centers of distribution, not centers of accumulation. When you're a center of distribution, you're going to find your uh, your life works a whole lot better because it's an inexhaustible paradigm. You, you cannot outgive the universe, and you are part of the universe. So act as if you have an abundance to give, whether it's a hug, a wink, or whatever it might be. This is Blaine Bartlett. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Hi, I'd like to uh, ask you to do something for me, if you wouldn't mind. If you like this episode, I'd like you to uh, not only subscribe uh, on your favorite site, but I'd also like you to uh, give a rating. Uh, ideally, a, a five-star rating would be you know, greatly appreciated. But I think more importantly also would be just uh, some uh, comments. Uh, that helps with the algorithm and it helps build the, uh, the audience with this. And more than anything else, if you could um, invite somebody else to listen, just share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, and uh, I'd like to see how we can grow the soul of business. I think it makes a difference. Thanks. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.